Welcome to Onco Pharma. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice and the supporting sponsor of Onco Pharma, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. And as you may have noticed in this, our third installment of our uh, kind of mini series on different career paths in oncology, we are joined again by a, an ETSU Gatton College of Pharmacy alumna. Uh, this is uh, Ryan McDade joining us. Ryan, say hello. Hi, thanks for having me. And you work for Humana, uh, the right. the insurance company, as a clinical pharmacy lead. I yes, I work for Humana, specifically Humana Specialty Pharmacy, as a clinical pharmacy lead. I was hired in 2020, so April 2020, as a staff clinical pharmacist, and have recently moved up to this role. So April 2020. What was happening in the world in April in 2020? Was that the very, that was the very beginning of the pandemic, wasn't it? Right. Yes. So right at the beginning, I transitioned to work for Humana Specialty Pharmacy. Uh, Kind of unique. I work from home full time. So that's one of the reasons why Um, it corresponded nicely with what was going on in the world. So I've been home based for the entirety of the pandemic. Haven't really visited my work home of where I would, you know, go visit during that time. So kind of unique situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll get into into what that means, clinical pharmacy, but let's first go through a little uh, bio. So you're from uh, East Tennessee, but a different East Tennessee from where I am in Johnson City. Where, where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then I spent seven years up in Johnson City at East Tennessee State University, three in undergrad, and then I graduated from the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State in 2014. 2014. Okay. And then PGY1 was Blunt PGY1. Memorial? Blunt Memorial. That's right. And PGY2 Houston something. Houston Methodist <laughs> Hospital. Houston Methodist. Okay. And now, uh, and then back to kind of your, your roots in, in Chattanooga is where you're living right now. Correct. And you were, you were in academia for a while too at University of Arkansas uh, Medical Sciences or the, the College of Pharmacy in Little Rock, right? Yes, I was at UAMS College of Pharmacy for two years from 2016 to 2018. Loved my time there. I was an assistant professor as in the pharmacy practice department, spent a majority of my time doing everything that you do, <laughs> teaching right. scholarship. Um, and then of course, 50% of my time was spent in clinical practice. A little unique, it was the palliative care clinic. So not full oncology, but certainly servicing a large population of cancer patients. Okay. And then after uh, your your stint in academia, uh, then what was next for you? After that, I transitioned to move closer to East Tennessee. So I joined the University of Tennessee Medical Center at the Knoxville campus as a clinical oncology pharmacy specialist, um, primarily in our infusion center, but supporting inpatient um, oncology as well. Okay. And then that's the transition into this Humana position. So tell us what what it is that that you do. Sure. It really is a callback to academia in ways. I do something different every day, which I love. So I am the clinical lead of our oncology center of excellence. It's a clinical program for patients filling oncology specialty medications um, through Humana Specialty Pharmacy. So really servicing them and providing symptom management, um, financial assistance is a big piece of our oncology center of excellence, walking them through specialty pharmacy, because we are mail order. It's kind of unique 
They may not have experienced that prior to meeting us. Um, and really what our big goals are is getting therapy to patients as quickly as possible. Um, most of these are tyrosine kinase inhibitors, right? So they could be waiting on um, their results to come back, especially in the lung cancer space. Are they going to do oral therapy? Are we going to go the IV route? So really getting therapy to patients is critical as well as adherence. Um, what I've learned from this role is I have a lot of um, different individuals looking at this, not just patients, but also providers and then pharma. So that's a new piece to my role is more interactions with pharma in that perspective of they want to know adherence, duration of therapy. So um, different than when I was previously a clinician and asking them more clinical questions. Okay. So take me through like, you know, a, a patient with a script for you know, abiraterone or extandia or whatever, whatever it may be, how does that come to your eyes? You know, how does that get to you? And then what is your role? Is it coming from Humana? Is it coming from the patient? Is it coming from the, the oncologist? You know, kind of, I guess, what's the workflow? Yeah. So we'll take an abiraterone patient. I think that's a great example. So what the workflow looks like is since I'm the clinical lead, I'm really managing um, the program. So we have our frontline pharmacists that are interacting directly with um, the patient and the provider's offices. So what it looks like is we will receive what we like to call a referral or prescription from the provider's office goes through lots of processing, a real callback to my community pharmacy days. Remember, I was previously an inpatient, so very different from processing, doing prior authorizations. Um, we have multiple teams that really satisfy that requirement. Where it really comes into play is for our oncology center of excellence, we're doing all of that at once in hopes of getting that faster time to fill. Additionally, our pharmacists are interacting with the referral sooner than they would in the traditional space. So where you typically see the pharmacist checking the tablets and whatnot, or even what we call pharmacist verification. Before those steps, our pharmacists are looking to make sure that the therapy is appropriate for patients, what we would typically do as oncology pharmacists, really making sure right drug, right dose at the right time. From there, our patients can engage with our clinical program. So this is really to promote adherence, making sure the patient understands how to take the drug. I cannot tell you the number of um, pharmacists that tell me that the patient thinks they're supposed to take their drug four times a day, um, four tablets once a day versus just four tablets all at once. So just little things like that to where the pharmacists are educating the patient correctly on the medication, what to expect side effects wise, when the side effects are going to occur. So our pharmacists are frontline, um, engaging with the patient, making sure that they understand on that. Then we have a nursing program that follows up with the patient. Our um, center of excellence clinical program has been designed based off HOPA best practice standards for oral oncology. So we're checking in with the patient at the two week mark at the one month mark, and then following them based off their needs. So really making sure the patient understands, again, how to take their therapy and what to expect. Now, I imagine these are done over the phone. These are done telephonically, yes. We are working on ways to engage more digitally through our website, through messaging, to really make sure that those patients feel supported. However, um, Humana as a whole, our population's Medicare patients, so we want to be careful of the patient experience. So I imagine there's, you know, like a lot of us do, there's an initial encounter uh, for education. And then do you do follow-ups periodically, you know, through the first cycle, monthly thereafter with each refill? What does that look like? 
Yeah. So again, we follow hope of best practices of when a patient's new to therapy. So they first start taking again, that abiraterone prescription we will touch base with them prior to them receiving the shipment of the medication to make sure they understand how to take it, what to expect. Then around the two week mark, we'll check in to see how they're doing. And then after that, um, we'll do a four week follow-up. And then it's based off what we call acuity, seeing how the patient's doing with therapy, really personalizing it to their needs. For the most part, we're checking on the patients every monthly or every three months. And we do understand that some academic medical centers, hospitals may have this program as well. So we do make sure that we're building off of that education already provided and are sensitive to, you know, the number of phone calls the patient's experiencing or even doctor's office visits. Yeah, that was going to be a question I had for you is how, how much coordination is there between something that may be done at, at the clinic level that, that mirrors what you're doing so as not to, to duplicate, duplicate care and overwhelm the patient, like you said, with phone calls and things like that? Yeah. So with the first call that we have with the pharmacist, again, typically before the patient even starts taking the medication, we try to level set on it. Do they have any questions about what the doctor went over? Do they have any questions about how to take it really using some of the, um, some of the tools that we learned in our communications course to see how are you taking it? What do you know? And then um, being able to, you know, build upon that foundation based off what the provider's office. Um, it is unique since we are mail order. Um, we service a large part of the nation. Um, so we don't have those one-on-one -on -one relationships with the providers like I've been used to, you're used to in your practice. So um, it's a little interesting at times to try to navigate that. Uh, yes, I'm sure. And I, I've heard, uh, you know, other other specialty pharmacies do something similar. And it, there is, even though, like you mentioned, the hope of best practices, there is kind of a generally accepted best practice for oral chemo management and counseling. Uh, there, there are inconsistencies in the specialty pharmacy space, uh, in addition to just locally in the clinic spaces of, of how this is going. And that is always, you know, like, you know, you've got two, you've got four 250 milligram uh, you know, tablets uh, of abiraterone. And yeah, I could very easily see how you could uh, take them every six hours and think that's how you're supposed to do it or something like that. You mentioned adherence. So this is not exactly what you do for abiraterone uh, since it is that one gram dose. Although there are some data for 250 with food, maybe having equivalent outcomes, but a lot of these oral dosage forms, right when they first come out as TKIs, you know, the dose is three or four tablets or capsules to be that one dose which I think is probably just the easiest way for the pharmaceutics part of it to get the drug studied and then to get the market. Like, so a Brutinib first came out in these small capsules, and then we had the full strength tablets that came a few years later. But when you're trying to assess adherence, because you've got the refill numbers in front of you from, from the specialty pharmacy side, you know, you might see somebody that, that is on, um, you know, back in the days of a Brutinib when it was 140 milligram capsules, they might go like two months without a refill, but they're still taking it every day because just locally, on the, you know, the internal records and clinic, they've dose reduced, which is really easy. There's no new copay. Instead of taking three capsules a day, take two capsules a day because of toxicity. So do you encounter that quite a bit? And how do you manage that from a, assessing adherence or measuring adherence? Oh yeah. That's something that until I started working in the specialty pharmacy space, did not even cross my mind how they look at adherence from that perspective of looking at the refill data um, using, we use PDC proportion days covered to see what the adherence is for patients. It's um, 
it's hard. It's very difficult. Um, what we've done for the center of excellence, and we're still evolving the program, um, looking at these outcomes, because what is adherence? We're really looking to see that the patient's taking their medication correctly, but why to make sure that they have better clinical outcomes. So we are tracking those clinical outcomes or trying to at least as much as we can. Some of ours though, look like, um, from that adherence standpoint, um, hospitalizations, ED visits. We can't necessarily look at, you know, progression-free survival or disease-free survival, um, overall survival. So it, it is a challenge to track adherence. And we do always have the caveat of there's a lot of holds in therapies, the dose adjustments that can come. We may not see that in the specialty pharmacy side because they can account for that through the tablets or capsules they already have. So what we've done is built out um, different domains and looking at it adherence specifically for the drug therapies based off the cancer type. So it's not a one size fits all approach that we've taken with this. We really try to individualize it. Okay. So, you know, it sounds like if we, if we were to, to try to sum up your role, you know, so w- when you first started at Humana, were you one of the, the pharmacists kind of on the front lines doing the, this reach out and then you've moved up to the lead position or you entered in the lead position? I entered more in the lead position of kind of managing what the clinical program would look like. We had a board certified oncology pharmacist um, from the payer side that kind of organized the program before I got here. We went live with the Center of Excellence in um, June of 2020. So if you remember, I started in April of 2020. So it was really fast paced and has been since I got here. So um, I started off at that role kind of managing um, the quality measures. When we're talking with the patients, we're using similar, we're using the same assessments for each. So looking at, um, looking at the different oncology quality metrics that you would expect managing, um, managing the symptoms, pain assessments and whatnot, um, really trying to develop those out. Um, so I have not had any of the operationals pieces. I really have to rely on the pharmacist and those, um, physicians to tell me what is going on, um, in that perspective. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, okay. So sounds, you know, even though you work for Humana Specialty Pharmacy, sounds very similar to what a lot of folks, uh, uh, listen, probably, uh, uh, do with regards to the patient care. So I think you're just from, from the, the specialty pharmacy and where they get their medications. Um, what, what have you, um, you know, what has been your experience as far as patient perception to getting these phone calls from the specialty pharmacy? What do your pharmacists say? You know, are patients generally open to that? Do you have trouble getting people to answer the phone? Uh, you know, those sort of hurdles. Oh yeah. Uh, certainly difficulty getting patients to answer the phone. I don't know about you, but I, avoid most of phone calls nowadays, unless you leave me a voicemail. Um, so yeah, it's a struggle trying to get patients to answer the phone at times Though we are looking at other ways to engage patients, to make sure they know the clinical programs that we do offer. Um, it may not be for every patient, maybe for, um, medical centers that have this kind of program, it doesn't fit the needs of patients, but thinking of smaller community settings where there may not be a pharmacist on staff, I think it could be very invaluable to have the specialty pharmacy program. Program, um, that we offer. When we do get the patient on the phone, um, having that 
pharmacists do the first interaction with the patient has been very well received. Um, our pharmacists have gone through training in the oncology space. So not your typical BCOP training, but certainly provided by the BCOP yours truly um, to get them better informed of the therapies, the symptoms, what to expect from um, what to expect from the therapies. So um, they've overall patient experience has been very good. We look at um, NPS scores to see how, um, how providers and patients are like reviewing us. And we're really strong in the patient experience space. What so NPS, what, what is that? Net promoter scores. What's that? So it's using, um, it, it's an assessment tool that we use in our space. It's used over um, across different corporations. So your Amazons, Apples, what have you to look to see what the experience is like. And it used um, promoters and detractors um, to, to see how you're performing. So the performance can be negative hundred, which is really bad to hundred. So right now, um, as of I guess the last quarter we were at 87 for patient experience, which is very, very strong. So anything over 45 is considered a great performance. So we're doing really well in that department as a whole for Humana specialty. Oh, I like the idea of that scale. I'm going to use that in class. The score <laughs> is going to be from negative 100 to 100. For every question, if you answer something that's going to cause patient harm, you get negative. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And like 45 would be good. Yeah. 45 <laughs> would be good. Okay. Um, so, so Ryan, what, um, what do you, what are the pros of your job? What would you say are, are the advantages of your position currently? I think one of the biggest ones is just the flexibility. Um, I am work from home. Um, I have the ability to, um, schedule meetings, do interactions at those certain times and really wearing different hats throughout the day. Um, while I wear the clinician hat, most of the time, um, I've realized that maybe I need an MBA <laughs> for some of the business aspects of it, but I learn something new every day in that perspective. So really the flexibility and learning opportunities have been extremely um, valuable to my development. And then what, what are the cons? What, what are maybe the disadvantages of your, of your current role? Yeah, you had asked if I had that patient interaction and I don't. So that's one thing I do miss about um, being a clinician, um, that patient interaction, working with the interdisciplinary team, um, though I do get to work with some really great pharmacists and nurses. Um, I do miss that camaraderie that we have with really caring for patients in that perspective. Okay, uh, two more questions for you. One, what, what advice would you give to somebody listening to this, say a resident, an oncology resident, PJ1, or even a pharmacy student, uh, or whoever, who says, oh, this sounds, this sounds kind of nice. You know, I, you know, maybe they've been working in practice, maybe, maybe they're in training, but uh, they're like, yeah, I could see myself doing that. What advice would you give to somebody interested in a position like this, working for, for a specialty pharmacy where you know, you're not going to have that patient interaction? What are the skills they need to be successful in a role like yours? Sure. I think having a foundational knowledge in oncology, so really having that um, clinical component has been invaluable for my success in my role. Um, any shadow opportunities, any chances to interact with people in roles such as myself or even with um, anywhere that you are interested in, um, asking for those opportunities and networking has been extremely critical um, from that perspective. Okay. And then last question. Would you say that your, your top five drugs that you guys are, are dispensing uh, off the top of your head, what do you think is the most common things that you guys are doing? 
Oh, goodness. Um, you hit one on the head earlier. So abiraterone is a highly used drug. A lot of our prostate cancer, again, if you think of the Medicare space, mm-hmm. a lot of prostate cancer drugs, um, breast cancer is a big one too. If we're just looking at the yeah. oncology space. Um, and then I cannot forget our REMS products. So Revlimid is huge. Um, linalinamide, um, pomelis, not as much thalamide shocking, <laughs> So those are the big, I would say those are the bigger disease states that we have. Yeah, that'll that'll be interesting for our, our listeners across the pond in the UK. We don't use as much thalidomide as, as they do in Europe. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we were talking before we started recording. Another advantage of, of, of working from home like you are is if you have furniture being delivered, you can arrange your schedule around the furniture delivery. So hopefully uh, the folks will be there with whatever you have coming. Uh, Thank you so much for for joining us, Ryan. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it. Thanks, John.